Hello, everyone. I am Mark L. Vincent. I am the director of the Convene Consulting Network. And today I am very privileged to have a good friend, Marcus Bigelow, here uh, for a conversation about stewarding kingdom-minded businesses, especially when it's a multi-generational concern. And I've known Marcus a while, and Marcus is deeply experienced on the pastoral ministry side of life and the business side of life and has a deep well of stories and experiences with family businesses and helping them manage succession. And it seemed like a good moment in time to sit down with him and invite him to share a bit out of his wisdom uh, to anyone out there who uh, might be facing these matters. And so, Marcus, I really want to welcome you to this conversation, and I'm eager to hear what you might have to say. And I really like to plunge into these conversations and kind of go for it right away. So I'm going to do that with you. And uh, because you've walked with a lot of leaders and businesses, and you've watched them build them, well, start them, of course, and then build them and then exit them. So in general, whether it's a family business or not, what are some of the must do's? We might call them the must haves in order to be able to build toward a successful succession. Well, I think the, the number one thing is some awareness of some of the dynamics that go into it. Only 30% of businesses that transfer actually successfully transfer to another generation. Wait, wait the can time you say that again? That's a small percentage. You said 30%? Only 30% transfer from first to second generation. Only 30% of that transfers to the next generation and on and on. So by the time you get to the third generation, less than 4% are actually making it. That sounds almost like the same percentage that uh, getting an entrepreneurial start would be. So you already have a big fall off just to get the thing to exist, and then yeah. to go to a next generation. Oh my goodness, that that's minimal. And and the there's there, it's interesting in almost every literature there's something along the line of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Uh, the Scottish have it, the Japanese have it, the Chinese have it, the Italians have it, we have it. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult thing transferring to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen any um, difference, uh, difference between Christians and non-Christians. I don't, don't have any good stats on that. But I know that overall, that's the, that's the statistic. And the number one reason that family businesses don't transfer to the next generation um, is, la is psychological. It's not lack of financial planning. It's not lack of uh, legal planning. It's either the heirs haven't been prepared enough or there's conflict in the family. And I always say that, you know, transferring a family business is the perfect storm because mm. every family has some dysfunction and, mm. and then you add in money and power and sibling rivalry and in a lot of cases, especially in the in the startup mode, a mom or a dad who was overcommitted to the business, uh, just struggling to to keep it alive, and then then they step out, and there's this vacuum here, and so it's almost this perfect storm where people rush in, or th uh, bad motives rush in. So the must do is build good trust and communication with your family. If there's anything that will allow 
a business to transfer. It's that trust, that communication, and then the preparation. That's the other side of the coin is the preparation. So I think those, those would be my must do's hmm. uh, or must haves. Um, and, it, and the problem is that as business owners, we get consumed with our business. Um, and sometimes we don't take into account things like maybe the son or daughter doesn't really want to be in that business. And I always say that a family business shouldn't be a lifetime sentence. <laughs> you know, sometimes a business needs to get sold just because there's no heirs available. Mm -hmm. um, or know that, that are qualified or that want to do it. Um, so I think that's, that's a piece of it. I think self-awareness uh, on the part of the first generation or the, you know, the one who's passing it down is important. There's four models of transfer. One is the monarch model, which is you'll carry me out in a box and that leaves everybody grieving and trying to figure out what to do then. And so there's this, big power struggle and usually by that time dad's 80 years old or mom's 80 years old um the second one is is uh, the general's model uh which is i shall return and i've seen it happen where I've, um, I've had a family that was trying to the father said i want to pass this to my kids but he'd set it up so that they would fail and he'd have to come back in riding on his white horse and save the day because it was about him. It wasn't about passing, really passing it on to the kids. Um, a third one is the governor model, which says I'll serve until X number of days, then, I'll, then I'm out of here and good luck. And then the last one, which I think is the correct one is maybe the statesman model where um, you move from ownership to partial ownership to no ownership, you know, in three or four stages. And, and you, begin, you stay on as, a, as an elder statesman, but, but remove yourself from the power as, as things go on. Hmm. So it almost seems, Marcus, that if you're going to build a business that you will have successors, especially if they are in the family in some fashion, that you actually have to build that part of the business too in intentional ways so that this trust factor increases. Am I, am I going down the right path here? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If you don't intentionally plan for that and provide training, provide um, mentoring, provide for relationships that work. I mean, I think, you know, the, the owner who spends time building relationships with his children um, is huge. Talking about transparency about what's going on in the business, transparency about, you know, who's going to do what when I leave, you know, because a lot of times it's two or three siblings and, um, you know, somebody gets their feelings hurt because I want to be CEO. No, I want to be CEO. Um, and uh, that, that can be, if they don't work on that ahead of time, that's a big thing. You know, one of the things that I've watched several successful families. We have a family of French Canadians who moved to California five generations ago. Successful farming family, huge agribusiness, and they have a, they have a family council that every year that meets three or four times a year, and they deal with family issues as it relates to the business. Not everybody can be a board member because now there's 150 sure. people in this family council, but they bring them to the family 
And they do, they do something that's really interesting is every year they do a cousin's camp where they bring the kids in from five to 17 and they all assume roles and responsibilities in the, in the family business. And, you know, if they're five years old, maybe they pick some stuff and run a fruit stand. If they're 17, they may actually be working in the accounting department or the, mm -hmm. or the, the managing some harvest or something like that. And they, they use that family camp to bring people in from across the country. But it keep it, first of all, it makes everybody like each other because they get to, to hang together. But it also gives them a chance to preview talents and, and preview skills and, and, you know, that kind of thing. And everybody comes through it, so far has come through it really well. I mean, this, this is a family that you'd be pleased to be a part of. <laughs> um, and they're not, and they're strong. I mean, they're strong leaders. I mean, this is not a bunch of wishy-washy people. These are strong leaders, but they really focus on building that relationship. Mm -hmm. So family council, family camps, those kind of things are really good. Yeah. So let, let's go deeper into family business itself. And um, there are some reoccurring dynamics that you probably already have touched on that you just see again and again and again, things that families should be intentional about, navigate around. What else would you add to that, uh, that just keep showing up uh, in the consultative projects and conversations that you've had over the years? Well, one is that there's at least three things that have to be transferred. Um, one is, is governance. Well, one is ownership. And that's who's gonna hold the stock, who's gonna you know, have that kind of a thing. The second is governance, and that's not always the same. In fact, a lot of times you have family members who, sh who can own stock, but they really shouldn't be governing. Um, and then the third one is management. So the, the governance is how are we gonna make the big decisions? How are we gonna set policies? And then the management is how are we gonna run it day to day? And, and I think if you, if you think about those three venues, um, that's, that's certainly an important one. How, how um, soon, before you go on, how, how soon should a family really get the governance stuff licked? I, I keep running into stories where we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. And they never do. So where, where in that arc of developing that business should, should strong governance really start to come into play? Wow. Um, that's probably a situational question. Okay. But my sense is the earlier, the better. Um, I mean, I don't think at 35, you want to start doing transferring governance to kids, but because, you know, Johnny, who's five or something like that, that's not good. But um, we're working with a fam couple of families that um, they've been working on it now for four years, five years, mm -hmm. um, because it doesn't go quickly sometimes. Um, and part of it was tax planning. Part of it was the legal. They, they, they had a very complex legal situation, but um, their kids, the, the, the parents are, actually it's two brothers who are leading this company. Um, and they started five years ago. They're probably 60 years old. So they probably started at 55. Um, and they probably have another, um, five years or 10 years of being in the governance part of it, but they're starting to invite people in hmm. um, to the process. 
they did an interesting thing. Um, you've heard of the five behaviors of cohesive teams. Sure. Um, and a lot, normally that's done in management. They had some family issues. And so they did the five behaviors of a cohesive family uh, that we had a chance to work through. And it was interesting to see, to begin with, there was some real bitterness in the room. Mom was bitter about some kids. Kids were bitter about mom and dad. There'd been hurt feelings. And halfway through that process, um, we had a real breakthrough. And uh, it was like we went from war to peace all mm. of a sudden. But it was, I mean, hanging in there was tough. It was, <laughs> it was a little scary for a while. Mm. But uh, now the family is, is united and families together. Um, so I think working on some of those uncomfortable issues are, are, is really important. And I think, we just talked about this today in a meeting that I was in, I think giving your kids a blessing, it's kind of an old fashioned concept, but it's so important. I, I saw one fail. The dad was a tough old buzzard who was never gonna, never gonna tell his son he was proud of him or that he loved him. And the son literally worked himself into a heart attack and into the hospital trying to get his dad's favor. Oh. And we have this need to be blessed by our dad. And so the, the earlier that can start, I mean, that can start at five years old. Um, you know, my, we didn't have a family business, but my dad called me every Sunday night till now from the time I was 21 until now to tell me he was proud of me. Wow. And a uh, it gives you a strength from which to build. Yeah. So, I, man, I can't emphasize enough, you know, giving your children a blessing along sure. the way. Sure. You were walking your way through three items here, and I cut you off after the first one with my question about governance. What else would you add to some of those reoccurring dynamics, Marcus? Thinking through, well, I think, you know, the, in terms of ownership and governance and, you know, the ownership one is probably the easiest. Okay. Um, from a legal standpoint, you can, you know, an attorney can draw it. Now, where it gets sticky is when we think we have to be equal. Ah. And not everybody has to be equal, but they do have to be equitable. So you may have one heir that is more needy or less able to take care of themselves. Equal may not be well, but not, may not be a good thing. And so that's one thing to think about in terms of the ownership transfer. And that's where it gets a little sticky unless you've had good communication prior. Um, in the management piece, um, that's probably the most thorny um, because a lot of times our, we, our kids grow up with this, the, the expectation that someday I'll be the CEO. And I think that there's a stewardship piece of this thing that says, what if I'm not the right person it's not just about me. It's not just about our family. You know, we have 400 employees and their families and 600 vendors and 1,200 customers who all depend on us. And so how do I steward that? And maybe I'm not the right one to be the next CEO. You know, maybe my role is, as a, as, is in sales or my role is in accounting. Mm -hmm. but, but do I have the humility to 
let, hire a non-family CEO to come in and I'll be part of the governance process and I'll be part of the management team maybe, or maybe I won't even be part of that. Um, but how do I, you know, I think we have to teach our kids the stewardship that this doesn't just belong to us. This is bigger. This is God's business. And how, how are you going to do that? You have um, touched on a number of dynamics that that uh, are often delayed or pushed off until they can't be pushed off anymore. Um, and I, I would just guess that you would have an illustration out of your experience of a family that, boy, it looked like they weren't going to get it done, but they got some stuff turned around and are um, a much better set of stewards now than they might have been. Uh, could you give us an, an illustration like that? Well, I think the family that I just talked about, uh, when we started that, I wouldn't have given you a plug nickel for our chances of resurrecting that one. Um, and, and just because we're believers doesn't mean we necessarily make good decisions. Mm. Um, and doesn't necessarily mean we're nice. Mm -hmm. You know, it ought to be make us kind, but not always are we nice. And so this was a family that was fraught with um, issues. Um, and it took persistence. It took some courage. Um, there were some kids that were, shouldn't be in leadership and shouldn't be in management um, who, were, who were bullies. And they had to fit, work through those, some of those kind of things. And um, it was some hard decisions. It wasn't all, you know, I can't say that it's always been peaches and cream, but I think the, gen, the, the business is going to survive going into the next generation. And they will do it with a non-family CEO. I'm impressed with something here, and that is that the work does not get easier. And so if uh, I'm this child who's growing up in the business or whatever, if I have this thought that uh, I deserve the appointment because I'm, I'm blood or that um, it will be easier now that all the hard work is done, I'm now pursuing a very different mission than the mission that the business has. Um, and it just, it, it, I, can't, I can't think that I can ma mail it in. Yeah. Uh, so let's say a, um, a business owner comes to you and she has built this up and she actually has delayed. She just has not gotten around to it yet. Life's been busy. She's been growing this business. But she can't put it off anymore. And that's often how these client scenarios come up because uh, now it's just kind of overwhelming and they just can't put it off. Um, and she's thinking, she's still even talking like, you know, when the business is right, I've got to fix a few things first and then I'm going to be ready. Can we plan for this for next year or something like that? Um, what are some of the first steps that she just has to take if she has any hope uh, to really have a good succession plan? <laughs> That's where we usually get called in uh, mm -hmm. is when there's pain, the pain is greater than the reward at this point. Um, and I would say that probably a couple things happen. Number one, you need to sit down with, with all of your, all the players and have some frank conversations. This is what I plan to do. This is, 
my thinking at this point, uh, and, and you may even need a mediator in the room because it might get kind of brutal. And I think that's, you know, sometimes that's the help of, of bringing in somebody from the outside is that they can act as the umpire and the referee and they can defuse things when it gets too tough. So talking to everybody is, is certainly a, a beginning point. Um, assessing readiness to lead. Sometimes what people forget is that when they started the business, it was a small fledgling business. But if they've been successful, it's now a $40 million a year business or an $80 million a year business or a $200 million a year business. If they think back to where they started thinking of coming into a $200 million business rather than starting from scratch, they would be overwhelmed themselves. Um, one of the, and one of the things that I would say is they need to focus on how do we move from what I will call mom and pop management to professional management. Um, but assessing the kids to say, what's their capabilities? What's their interest? Um, I think that would be certainly part of it. If they haven't done some training up front, um, they're gonna have to cram it in. Uh, but anything that they can work on that way, might be getting the kids a mentor or a coach. Um, those would be some of the things that might, might help that transition. Um, I think that, you know, there's, there's kind of this four step process of going from I'm doing it all to I'm doing it with you to you're doing it and I watch. Um, and that's not going to do it in a year and a half or two years. It'll be very compressed if it does happen, but there ought to be some of that. I won't leave you just hanging. Um, and I would say, frankly, that if, if there hasn't been any prep to that point, that it might be that you bring in an outside CEO, outside president for a year or two or three or four until they, that person can, can train the, the, the successors. Uh, and sometimes I'm working with a couple businesses right now where they brought in some people who are training people up until there's an interim CEO. It might be three years. It might be seven years. Um, but until there's that, that ability to transfer it over. Hmm. So Marcus, as we wrap up this conversation, um, you've pointed to a number of really critical items that have to get in place and that they, they really are as important as any other part of the business development, you know, determining a product mix, figuring out your marketplace, all of those things. And yet sometimes there's, there's a cornerstone here. There's something that's like, if it's not there, it is going to fall apart and everything else can build on that. Um, so are among any of these, are there one or two that you would say, if you're going to build a business that is going to have a success rather than just selling it outright or closing it up, that must be there if it has any chance to be that unicorn? You know, that the 30% of the 30% of the 30% that gets yeah. into a fourth or fifth generation even has a prayer for that. What must be there? Mm, one thing. <laughs> but if it's not one thing, that's fine. I just, it just seems like there yeah. might be a cornerstone piece here. Like if this isn't here, you know, it, it's just not going to happen. I guess I would say it's the family relationship. Because... 60% of those that fail do so 
because the family has fallen apart as the psychological pain has fallen apart. Hmm. And so the kids flake, the kids leave because they just don't want the pain anymore. And they'd rather have Thanksgiving than a business. So, so that would be my first thing would be to spend time building that family relationship, patching it, um, getting it so that everybody can talk to one another. Mm. Um, and if it takes counselors or it takes coaches, if there's, if there's one thing that's going to be that, be there, I think that's the one. Um, it just seems so wise, Marcus, because um, if you're going to have a family business, there has to be a family. <laughs> and if you're going to invest in the business to have the business, you're going to have to invest in the family and the family dynamic to have family business. Uh, it's just that that's maybe a little bit different than the business itself because it's, it's relational, it's relationships and it's relatives. And, and uh, you have that really quirky fabric of, of all of the uh, dysfunction that can come as well as all the wonderful holy moments that can come. Well, and it's all about trust. That, you know, if, if you have trust, you can get away with a lot of things that weren't quite perfectly done. If you don't have trust, you can have the best business plan and the best accounting and the best everything else, and it's not going to work, which is all part of that, part of that family relationship, emotional relationship. Marcus, you've not only provided good information here, you've displayed uh, your patient way of working with people and thinking things through without pressing hard, uh, which is so important when you're facilitating conversations. I, I want to thank you for joining me here. And for all of you who've been uh, listening to this, we're going to have Marcus's contact on the screen here in a moment. So you can reach out to him if you'd like to have further conversation. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, we'd like to say thank you. Thanks for giving us this time. And thank you to you, Marcus, for uh, your investment in the Convene community and beyond uh, today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.